0: As you can hear from what is going on in the background, I'm currently at the Commission and I've been covering this mammoth and very important investigation into state capture for the past two years. For this podcast series, we're going to have some deep dive conversations with some of the people who are close to the Commission and experts on corruption in South Africa. We'll examine the whole trajectory of the Zondo Commission and how it's been shaped by the nature of witnesses. We will also look at the politicization of the Commission's work and various tactics to discredit the Commission and test its integrity. We will also discuss and review the Commission's own strategies to keep things on course. And importantly, has the whole operation been a success? Welcome to Zondo Commission Unpacked. My name is Mwibeng Valencia Talani, And this podcast is brought to you by Corruption Watch and produced by Volume. And for this episode and the next, I'm going to be speaking to David Lewis. He is the executive director of Corruption Watch. Welcome, David.
1: Hi, thank you, Alessa.
0: Maybe we can start by getting a brief overview from you.
1: State capture is a term that connotes a particular form of corruption, very serious, high level corruption, usually Mm -hmm. involving very large amounts of money. And what it refers to is something different to discrete acts of corruption, even big acts of corruption. It rather refers to a situation where the corrupting parties, uh, usually representing a commercial interest of one sort or another, and a political interest of one sort or another, have taken over the decision-making structures of the state or a part of the state. And so instead of just corrupting one procurement uh, episode in say, the Department of Correctional Services, you take over the procurement function, you infiltrate the procurement function of the Department of Correctional Services in order to ensure that the procurement you want to go your way goes your way, a predetermined way. And that's what state capture is. So you don't have to form a syndicate in order to capture every single act of procurement differently. You form Mm. a syndicate to capture the decision-making structures of the government department or the entire state, that you want to uh, corrupt. And that's what state capture is.
0: As far as the appointment of Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo by the Chief Justice Mokwe Mokwe back in um, 2018, in your view, has he been the right man for the job?
1: Yes. I mean, he's a highly regarded... Uh, a member of the judiciary. He's obviously a very, very senior member of the ju- j- judiciary. And, you know, the proof of that is that he's done, I think he's done a good job. You know, commissions haven't always done good jobs. You know, we've had some pretty bad ex- recent experiences with the Sariti Commission, with the uh, uh, Marikana Commission. Mm-hmm. But Judge Zondo has done, has kept the commission on track despite some um, very unfortunate noise surrounding the commission. Uh, he's had to deal with some very powerful and very reluctant witnesses. He's had mm. to deal with um, the inherently political nature of this, uh, of this commission and the divergent political interests involved in it. But I think he's proved to be capable of doing what he has to do in the in a really calm and, I think, manifestly fair and even-handed kind of manner, whatever some witnesses have said about him.
0: He could have done a better job, though, of speeding up the process, would you not say? I mean, we are going to the third year of the Commission's hearing.
1: Possibly. uh, We were very much in favour, when the Commission started, of the Commission issuing interim reports, Yes, which yes. is similar to what Judge Nugent did in the SARS Commission. And that would have speeded up the process. Well, if not necessarily speeded up the process, it would have allowed the public to see progress yes. in the Commission intermittently. And I think that would have saved us, um, saved the, cr- the Commission a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, uh, scepticism. But, I mean, it's a huge undertaking, this commission. You know, unlike the Marikana Commission or the SARS Commission, mm. which were focused on quite specific issues, this really is an examination of 10 years of governance in South Africa.
0: Well, it's been quite a, an expensive exercise as well, as um, critics of the commission have pointed out happily, that it has been quite a lot of money, uh, quite a lot of taxpayers' money, and the length that of, of its term has been quite a, a big contributor to that.
1: Yeah, but you know, if, if the Commission succeeds in telling us what happened during the state capture period mm. and how we can avoid it happening ever again, The money that we've spent on the commission will seem like small change compared to to what we lost during the state capture era. Look, I mean, I I don't want to sound frivolous about it. I'm not unconcerned, and nor should anybody be unconcerned at the amount of money that has been spent.
0: Have you been surprised at any of what's been revealed over the course of the commission's hearings?
1: Well, you know, we're professionally or, you know, our day job involves us dealing with the sort of stuff that has come before the commission. You know, while we haven't dealt with everything, um, Mm -hmm. uh, much of it is is familiar to you, I'm sure, and it's familiar to me. And so I am probably, and we've probably been less surprised than members of the public have been. But I, I have to say, you know, you think you lose your capacity for surprise. And uh, you see the depth and the breadth of corruption in this country. You see the extent to which high-level people have brought ordinary working stiffs like you and I into their corrupt schemes. And you do get shocked. I mean, there's no question about it. And then there are some corruption episodes, which you can't help but be appalled and outraged and shocked at. I mean, I think of the VBS scandal, for example. I mean, this is a situation where pensioners, old people in very, very poor communities, had their savings effectively stolen from them, from their own homeboys who set up a bank in, the, in uh, Limpopo. Mm. They... They must have known the people that they were stealing from, you know. And mm-hmm. and that was appalling, the the scandal involving the farmers in the free state, the Stina Dairy scandal, the Bosasa scandal in which very ordinary people were implicated and compromised by uh, the temptations offered them by Bosasa And then, of course, the complete audacity of the Guptas and Zuma, you know, Mm -hmm. an audacity which eventually helped to expose them, I might add. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I mean, I knew a lot of the detail of a lot of the stuff that came about ESCOM and Transnet and whatever, largely through the work of investigative journalists and through whistleblowers who, who came to us. But I, I'm pleased to say I haven't lost my capacity for surprise and outrage. I think once <laughs> you you start accepting that this is the normal way of doing business.
0: Well, the conversation would be boring if it were just you and I, David, speaking about the commission. So we've asked a few people to, to send us their thoughts via WhatsApp voice notes on various topics in this episode. Let's hear from our first contributor.
2: Given the legacy of former commissions of inquiry, one thinks particularly of the TRC and the Maracana Commission, it's difficult to have complete confidence that the findings and recommendations of the commission into state capture will lead to tangible legal outcomes and accountability that will fundamentally alter the trajectory of corruption in the country. Having said that, the Commission has been an extraordinary testament to the truth, and all those involved with it who have worked tirelessly and courageously to uncover and unearth the underbelly of democratic governance, notably corruption, maladministration, and criminal fraud, need to be applauded. The Commission has been hamstrung, in a way, by failing to produce interim reports, which would give us an indication, as civil society and the public at large, as to the nature, character, and breadth of the findings and recommendations. Given the substantial and evolving nature of state capture, the Commission's findings and recommendations alone may not shift the needle significantly. However, with the newly capacitated and independent prosecuting authority and police, there is some hope that institutions of criminal justice will be able to seize upon the findings and recommendations of the Commission to pursue real and tangible legal outcomes, including prosecutions, asset recovery, and the blacklisting of those implicated in corrupt activity from further political and economic participation in society."
0: Prior to, and even during the course of um, the State Capture Commission's hearings, there's been that argument that um, there was never state capture in South Africa. And that uh, what we are dealing with through the commission is general corruption and not necessarily state capture because not all elements of the cap- of the state were essentially captured. If, if we we're going to go by, um, you know, the formal structure of what a state is. What is your take on that?
1: No, I think that's nonsense. I mean, um, you know, sh- surely take the iconic uh, um, syndicate, which was the, the Zuma-Gupta syndicate. They, not, not even they could, uh, you know, take on the entire state. And so they selected quite carefully what uh, corners of the state uh, what institutions in the state they wanted to capture, and yeah. they captured them. And and so, you know, their their focus, for example, was on the procurement budgets of the state-owned enterprises. Hmm. And not and not even every state-owned enterprise. So they concentrated on ESCOM, which is the biggest procurer of, of goods and services in the state, Transnet, which is the second biggest, South African Airways, which is very large, Denel, which is very large, and one or two other state-owned enterprises, because that's where the big money is. And then they also concentrated on on mining, and so Mm -hmm. they made sure that they captured the, the mining ministry and the mining industry. Mm-hmm. And you know, with that alone, can keep you busy for a long time and make mm-hmm. you hundreds of millions and billions of rands. Which it, mm. you know, a group like Wasasa really captured the decision making uh, um, uh, functions of the Department of Correctional Services. Other syndicates captured an institution like PRASA, the rail service, which also has a very big. Uh, procurement budget. So just to say, well, not every single corner of the state was not captured doesn't mean that you don't have state capture. I mean, very importantly, the corner of the the two institutions in the state that weren't captured, and this really told against the corrupt uh, elements, were the judiciary and the public protector, Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, caused them a lot of trouble. Um, and eventually, I think, you know, brought them, brought them down. I mean, apart mm-hmm. from their own mistakes. But, uh, um, but those were very important issues. Those were very important institutions that were not uh, captured. What they did capture, and this was very important to everybody who captured corners of the state, is that they captured the law enforcement authorities. They captured the Hawks, they captured the NPA, they captured crime intelligence. Those were the first institutions captured. And it enabled them to go about their business with very little risk, with very little fear that they would land up in prison because they knew that they had the key law enforcement agencies in their pocket.
0: Going back to the makeup of the commission, is it a judicial or political instrument? And, and, and in answering that, are you able to give us a, 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 an explanation of why there's, a, there's importance in, in giving that distinction?
1: I mean, it is a judicial commission of inquiry. And yes. I think the point of making it a judicial commission of inquiry is that there are rules governing judicial commissions of inquiry, and the commissioner is a judge. And mm. judges, you know, come, we believe, with a, a reputation for integrity and honesty independence, yes. That that uh, and independence that is important in the functioning of an investigation of this uh, sort. But it's mm. not a court of law, and one should never um, uh, mistake it for a court of law. And very importantly... You can demonstrate that by showing that its recommendations are not binding and it doesn't have punitive powers. It doesn't have yeah. powers of, of retribution. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, nor is it a political commission, you know, and that because a judge is in charge of it, and because a judge doesn't take sides politically. But it is undoubtedly concern absolutely critical political issues, i mean as yes. i said you know right at the beginning really this commission is an investigation into 10 years of governance in in uh, in south africa there was a mm. political party in charge of the governance of south africa and it's still in charge of the governance of south africa and this makes it a highly politicized process but it's for the judge to and uh, the commissioner to demonstrate that uh, He'll listen to evidence from any political uh, uh, interest that has evidence yeah. to offer, and so it's neither a court of law, mm. nor is it a nor is it a, a politically biased process. It's a judicial commission of inquiry, which is different from both of them, but has elements that are attractive to
0: both. It's interesting that you you you. You make the distinctions that distinction that you make because some of the critics of the commission and I suppose critics of Judge Zondo himself and his handling of the Commission's work have built a narrative around how the commission is being used by one faction of the ANC, for instance, against another, and that it's it's basically operating on the at the whim of the most powerful faction at the moment. Your take on that?
1: I don't see that really. You know, that is another political divide that you speak to that maybe is the most uh, serious political divide of all of them. You know, without suggesting that there is no corrupt person, I mean, let's call, call it for what it is here, that there's no corrupt person in, if you like, the... The Ramaphosa faction of the ANC. The truth of the matter is that there are many, many corrupt people in the other faction of the ANC, and so it's not surprising that they've been that members from members of that faction have been the subject of much discussion within the uh, within the, the commission. commission. You know, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean to say that the commission is biased against them. It just means to say that they're. Uh, that they have a a large corruption problem. So I don't really uh, see that. We've seen some of of the president's faction being treated quite roughly at the commission. We've seen some of the other faction being treated quite politely. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't give much credence to that. But it's the sort of thing that would be said to discredit the commission, because the one side fears that... uh, that it's going to uh, not be happy with the outcome
3: of the commission.
0: Well, we have another voice note from one of our contributors.
3: Hi, my name is Dumeleng Mafisa, a freelance reporter. Uh, Basically, my take on the Zondo commission is that it's been an interesting two years, uh, especially um, looking at it from a you know, responsibility side of things. It's been shocking seeing government officials or, you know, um, managers of state-owned enterprises uh, basically uh, going on an unresponsive uh, mission during questioning at, um, you know, the Zonda Commission. A case in point could be Dodu and some other officials of SAA. So... um, I've enjoyed watching the commission, but, uh, you know, I've been left uh, quite intrigued uh, by the lack of accountability of some of the officials. I think it's a good commission and certainly I hope the findings um, come into effect as soon as the commission is finished.
0: Let's talk about the witnesses now, David. Um, Mm. The very first witness that the commission called happened to be from the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer in Treasury. I would imagine part of the strategy there was to help put things into perspective in terms of how much government spends on an on, on an annual basis, um, it's an annual procurement budget. This mm-hmm. gentleman, Mr. Ndeleni Matebula, put this budget at a figure of around 800 billion rands per annum. This was to give us a picture of while we're listening to everything else over the course of the of the hearings, we need to take into consideration all the time that all of this is coming from what should have gone into service delivery programs uh, that were envisioned by government. Why has this been so important and, and um, what kind of tone did it set, would you say, for the commission?
1: You know, I could answer that partly by referring to a famous conversation that happened many years ago between an American judge and a famous American gangster, bank robber. And the judge yes. asked the bank robber why it is that he robbed banks. And the bank mm-hmm. robber's reply was, well, that's where the money is. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, you, you, you will have heard that most of the conversation at the commission uh, has centered around procurement issues because yes. that's where the money is. You know, one other issue that you may think was was separate from procurement was the whole question of the appointment of ministers, where it was alleged that the Guptas were appointing ministers. Well, you'll recall in the case of Becky Mentor, what she alleged is that they wanted to appoint her a minister, a a minister of public enterprises, as long as she made sure that uh, an airline route went to a friend of the Guptas and was taken Mm. away from South African Airways. I think the same thing was said to to B.C. Jonas. They made sure that they appointed the Minister of Mines because they wanted to get involved in uh, the coal procurement, you know?
0: Yes. And
1: so all of just about everything that the Commissioner's Mm -hmm. heard, certainly involving any substantial sum of money, has involved the procurement. And And I guess that what the Commissioner wanted, what the judge wanted, was for an expert in procurement to lay out the principles and, uh, and regulations uh, mm. governing public procurement, which are complex and, and which are vulnerable. And I think it was a very uh, um, smart move to mm. get that clarified right from the,
0: At the beginning. beginning yeah. What's been the most explosive moment for you? in the past uh, two and a half years or
1: so. There have been a number, uh, you know. The, the sort of non-testimony of Zuma was, was interesting. He didn't help the commission any, but he certainly revealed at least his version of some of the rot within the ANC. I mean, for my part, he revealed mostly what a corrupt character he was. But he tried to shift the blame onto colleagues of his, some of whom he had appointed to his own cabinet by alleging they were spies. And this involved some very highly regarded political leaders in the country. And that was pretty explosive, I'm sure you'll agree. And then I think the Igrezi Testament was explosive. And the Igrezi Testament... You, you know, it was explosive because it came from the inside. I mean, you know, this was a person who didn't, you know, rely on things that he found in the dustbin or on secondhand uh, um, reports that he'd heard. He was really in the room where where the corruption was conducted. He was a bagman for the for the whole Busaisa enterprise. And so his evidence was pretty sensational. And some of the most sensational aspects of his element was how petty some of this, you know, corruption was, even if not petty in terms of money, you know, how he bought chicken for Nomvulo Mokonyane and, and premium whiskey for Nomvulo Mokonyane and, uh, and how they bribed a clerk in a bottle store to help them launder their, their, their money. And it really spoke about uh, how comprehensive an enterprise like state capture has to be if you are to cover it up. It spreads its corrupting influence and its corrupting toxins throughout the society, you know, to people like the poor clerk in the bottle store, who I'm sure never really thought of himself as being a corrupt person but was offered sums of money that he felt he couldn't resist. Um, and uh, that was a very strong characteristic of uh, of Agrizi's testament, you know, air conditioning units here, shoes there, your child's school fees on the other hand, chicken and bourrevos on the other hand. And, uh, you know, that on top of also bribing the heads of, correctional services for massive uh, contracts. But you, in order to ensure that the massive contract corruption was not discovered, you had to make sure that uh, um, uh, you had all your other bases uh, uh, looked after. So those were pretty sensational. I, I learned a fair amount from Pravin Gordon's uh, t- testimony. I found uh, Jimmy Manya's testimony very entertaining. Uh, but the, the Greasy and, and Zuma sort of stand out for me in a way. Brian Molefe's testimony, recent testimony, was, was interesting. I think he really went out of his way to try and discredit the president. I think that was his uh, uh, predominant uh, uh, tactic in, in providing his evidence. You know, some of the even quite technical evidence, I think there was a guy from the Standard Bank whose evidence I found uh, also to be very interesting.
0: Who else should come before the commission to give further evidence or to help it close the loop, so to speak? Who would it be?
1: Well, Zuma, number one. Uh, <laughs> and, and we know all the legal processes that that, that now Surround getting Zuma back in, and he has made it absolutely clear that he has mm-hmm. no intention of giving evidence, which really raises the stakes enormously because he's, uh, he's effectively rendering himself guilty of a crime, as I understand it. And I don't know what the chair of the commission or the commissioner, Judge Zondo, will do in that eventuality. We should have had more uh, testimony from the private sector uh, there's been some interesting testimony from the private sector, but, but there could have been more. I mean, we must remember that, you know, corruption is, is really about the interface between the public and the private. And obviously the Guptas loom ve- very large as a private interest over the commission, and mm. so does Bosasa and many other companies that have been named and, and, uh, and fingered at the commission but it would have been interesting to get testimony from senior corporate executives who gave evidence, you know, not necessarily even about corruption in their own companies or in their own dealings with government, but who could have given us a sense of how prevalent um, the existence of corruption was in South Africa. Do they, for example, feel it necessary to have a pre-established Relationship with important figures in government in order to get government contracts, even if they don't have to pay a bribe every time. I mean, these things would have, been, would have been interesting to know. It would have been interesting to know something about the modus operandi of the relationship between government and the private sector and how this corruption takes place.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, two two companies, though, come to mind, uh, the first being McKinsey, the consultancy firm, as well as EOH, the IT giant. Mm. Although how I think their testimonies or their evidence is positioned is such that now that we have fixed our mess, we want to tell you where the mess was, and we cannot bring those account- who should be accountable for the mess to you, but we we are more interested in helping, so to speak, the, the commission to, to do its job. In McKinsey's um, case, the fact that they also committed to paying back 600 million rents that was made through their contract and benefits through the contract with ESCOM, I believe. Would that be the McKinsey and EOA testimony? Would that not then
1: cover what you're talking about? I mean, EOH, I I think, no, sure, it does cover. It does cover. And I'm I'm surprised Mm. that I didn't mention that because we've been very deeply involved, certainly with the McKinsey case and to some extent with the Bain and EOH case as well. I mean, EOH and McKinsey on the one hand and Bain and McKinsey on the other hand are are in some sense separate cases. I mean, EOH is a large South African firm that was involved... Mm large scale corruption, almost across the board in government, given that they're an yes. IT producer. Bain and McKinsey to me are the lowest of the low. I mean, uh, these are companies that I think should be prohibited from operating in South Africa. You know, the notion that that McKinsey has paid retribution for this. I mean, in fact, this figure is more than 600 million. It's 1.6 billion, it was, I think, mm-hmm. A billion in the case of the fees that they earned for in ESCOM and 600 million in the case of the fees that they earned in, in Transnet.
0: Transnet you know, yes. when,
1: when an ordinary person steals a loaf of bread and he gets caught, he doesn't get to say, okay, well, he has the loaf of bread back. Now, treat me not only as somebody who has made retribution, but as a really honest citizen for having given the money back. Rubbish. This is, these are fees that McKinsey and Bain earned from corrupted contracts. And mm. the damage that those corrupted contracts have done, I might add, have cost the South African people a hell of a lot more than 1.6 billion rand. I mean, in mm. Bain's case, they effectively were deeply instrumental in destroying SARS The the cost of that is incalculable. Um, McKinsey behaved in the most disgusting, appalling manner. And uh, frankly, in a manner that's consistent with its behavior across the world. You know, where do you come from charging a billion rand for advice? I mean, they didn't provide any nuclear turbines. They didn't provide any fleets of jets. They provided advice and that was worth a billion rand. Come on, you know. Uh, yes. That's not how the world works. And so they were guilty of overcharging. They were guilty of, of, uh, of corruption. Um, and, and frankly, I think if there ever was a case for removing the license of a company to operate in this country, then with both McKinsey and Bain, there is that uh, case and they should not be allowed to operate. And if they are allowed to operate, then South African business, and particularly the state-owned sector, should speak with the power of their business and give these companies no business. There are plenty of other uh, consultancy companies that they can go to.
0: Okay, on that note, we go to our third and final voice note for this episode and this person gets to tell us about the most shocking moment from the commission so far
4: the zondo commission has heard wide-ranging evidence from over 280 witnesses so far some of those witnesses have been very self-serving and obfuscatory such as brian molefe making wide-ranging allegations without a shred of evidence against people including president ramaphosa Others have been downright evasive in their response to questions by the Commission's legal team. A third category of witnesses have been revelatory, exposing the brazenness of the corrupt practices and parties uh, that have been involved in state capture. It is this latter category that have been most useful and important to the Commission, providing important evidence. Uh, These uh, people, whose names we are not really familiar with, the lesser known executives and middle managers at state-owned enterprises, such as South African Airways, Transnet, ESCOM, and Prasa, they have provided the commission with tangible evidence of wrongdoing of the repurposing of these institutions in order to loot funds for the benefit of the Guptas and other cronies of former President Zuma. The explosive testimony yesterday of uh, Sidney Mufamadi, who chaired a high-level panel on the state security agencies, exposed once again the repurposing of these agencies and the absolute looting of funds, which uh, allegedly went directly to former President Zuma. These are the allegations that will need to be further tested and further evidence-led, but we can conclude that the Zondo Commission has been uh, revelatory in exposing the depth and breadth of state capture in South Africa.
0: Now, David, let's talk a little bit about the ANC.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: From your point of view, has been their role in the commission?
1: This is the big uh, uh, elephant in the room. In the room. <laughs> and, um, I mean, there have been, obviously, testimony from ANC leaders. Yes. But not testimony on behalf of the organisation. You, you know... A lot of the corruption, a lot of the state capture that, that you know, both the Bosasa syndicate and the Gupta syndicate were involved in has been used to fund the ANC. In yes. fact, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that before the era of state capture, before the Zuma era, there mm. was a very interesting case involving a company called um, Chancellor House. yes. An ANC-owned company that sold contracts um, in the ESCOM build of Madupi and Kuseli to uh, a, a big Japanese engineering firm in exchange for shares in the Japanese uh, engineering firm's subsidiary in South Africa. And that was that was a straight case of using state resources and state power to fund the ANC. And there's no doubt about it, that this has been a pattern of the of the corruption that has taken place. You have to understand that as regards the main syndicate, the Zuma-Gupta syndicate, Zuma's use to the syndicate, his value to the syndicate lay in the extraordinary power that is, he had as the state president, and particularly in his power to make appointments of ministers, uh, his power to influence the power of uh, uh, the, the appointment of uh, the boards of parastatals and state-owned CEOs, his unfettered power to appoint the heads of the NPA, SARS, uh, the Hawks. These were all powers that Zuma had, and and that he used to the advantage the huge advantage of the corrupt syndicates. But in order to be able to do that, he had to be president. And in order to be president, he had to be leader of the ANC.
4: And
0: in order
1: to be leader of the ANC, he had to secure the majority vote of the ANC branches and provinces every couple of years. Not only was this money used to support the ANC, it was particularly used to corrupt the ANC. Yeah. So the elected premiers got their share of slice of the action in exchange for being able to loot their provinces, as long as they mm-hmm. didn't turn their attention to the stuff that Zuma and the Guptas were looting. And the provinces, the, the premiers then made sure that the branches we're all on side, so that they sent the right people to the branch conferences, so that the mm. right people could be sent to the national conference in order to keep Zuma in power. So the ANC has been a very big player in this whole uh, corrupt scheme, and yes. uh, and it has really damaged the the ANC, both its standing in the eyes of the of the public, but also as a functioning. Um, political party parliament has been largely missing in action yes. until very recently in exercising oversight i mean it even you know had to go through the humiliation of having the constitutional court direct it to conduct its oversight uh, functions to take on its mm-hmm. oversight functions
3: mm-hmm. and
1: parliament has been corrupted as well remember we have a we have a, uh, a system of representation uh, of proportional representation whereby the parliamentarians are not directly elected by the uh, electorate they're appointed by the party and so mm-hmm. you vote for the party and not the parliament and you know there, there are many people who for very good reasons have a long standing regard and affection for the ANC and so want to vote for the ANC but when they vote for the ANC they also had to have to vote for very corrupt elements who are on the ANC's uh, parliamentary list. And these people have been made chairs of the important parliamentary committees, that the response of parliament is going to be very important indicator of where the ANC is at. And so will the response of the president be. Remember it's for the president to decide whether to accept the recommendations of the, of the commission or not. And I don't doubt that there are going to be several findings and recommendations that are going to be uncomfortable for the ANC.
0: So are there any takeaway points, David, that you'd like to add to what we've discussed today?
1: You know, it was absolutely necessary, whatever the cost, whatever the time, it Mm -hmm. was absolutely necessary to have a commission of inquiry uh, in the attempt to bring closure to this you know, awful episode. And in order particularly to mm-hmm. find out what, as I said, what happened and how we can make sure it doesn't happen in the, in the future. Yes. And I hope that we're not disappointed by the, the uh, report of the commission. And let's, let's hold our breath and see what happens. I think it's going to still be a while before we get the report, but this was a big deal. And I'm very anxious, as I'm sure are you, as I'm sure are many, many other South Africans, to see what this does bring us. I mean, commissions of inquiry are often thought of by the public as real panaceas, something that will bring, that will bring closure and provide answers, and very often they don't. But I think this commission has been run better than many of the other very, very large commissions. And let's see if... Uh, it lives up to the expectation that it will produce a report of value.
0: On that note, thank you very much, David. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks, and you too.
0: You've been listening to Zondo Commission Unpacked, a corruption watch podcast produced by For You. I've been your host, muepen Valencia Dalani. Join us for the second episode when we will dig into the evidence exposed by the commission and get a glimpse of the role corruption has played throughout. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.
3: Volume.